you're seated, turn your Bible to the book of Genesis, first book in your Bible, and we'll be looking today at verses 1 through 6. So Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And as we look at these uh, various events that are chronicled in the Bible, you know, we remember that these are real events taking place in real time, real experiences, and real emotions, real responses that are there. And so as we look in God's word here, you know, we're confronted here today with Abram and a real response and interaction that he had with God and something we can learn a lot from. So uh, today, again, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. This is God's holy, inerrant, his perfect word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, Father, with whatever we're going through, whatever we're experiencing right now, we, we come to this, to your holy, your perfect word, and ask, Lord, that you would help us to see how we can apply it to our lives, how we can apply it to our thinking. Father, that we may live lives that are pleasing to you, that we may live lives that are empowered by your grace. God, that are empowered by your promise. Father, we all bring different situations here. Father, and something we're all so needy. We're needy in our sin. We're needy in our dependence. And God, in your graciousness, you reach out to us. And so we ask once again, would you reach out to us by sending your spirit, help us understand and apply this to our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, has anyone here been disappointed recently? You know, we all will face disappointments in this life, and, and maybe you've faced disappointments even recently. Some of them can be trivial. Uh, some of them can be quite serious. Uh, some of the trivial ones, maybe a, a movie that didn't live up to your expectations. Anyone here has seen Star Wars 1 after waiting for years and years for it to come out? Maybe 2 and then 7, 8, 9? Disappointment, things that you waited for and just didn't work out, or, or maybe that, that jelly-filled donut that you were waiting and eating around until you finally hit the jelly in the middle of it, or, or wanting to go out for a nice dinner at Chick-fil-A and then going out downtown and realizing, oh, it's closed. It's closed for renovations. What's going on here? We face disappointments. Those are some minor ones. We have some bigger ones, some moderate ones, maybe having a birthday and Nobody calls you on that day. Nobody reaches out. Maybe that's a vacation that had to be canceled because of sickness or because of injury or a raise 
that you didn't get. After all the hard work that you've put in, it's your place of work. Um, yesterday, uh, something happened in my life which was not a disappointment. We had a great opportunity to go to the Rod and Gun Club for our little men's day out. Great Bible teaching with Pastor Sam. Thank you to him. And, and a good time of fun with the other men together shooting with Tom Warman and Mark Shigley and Dave Ross. Thank you all for organizing that time. You know, some people brought fishing poles. They were a little disappointed because we couldn't fish that day. But, but for most of us, for me, it certainly was not a disappointment. Thank you. But, you know, we're, dealing, we're going to think about disappointment today in light of Abram's life and what we see in this passage today. Because what we do is we start off by seeing Abram wrestling with disappointment, what he saw happening in comparison with his expectations. And as the passage, even though it's only six verses, as it moves on, it, it finishes in one of the greatest promises that's ever been provided, a, a promise of, of forgiveness, a promise of salvation. So it's quite a movement that you're going to see here in these just mere six verses. And, and if you've ever dealt with disappointment in your life, and, and who of us hasn't, then I think, you know, we gain a lot in looking in this passage. Even disappointment as we wrestle with the promises of God and, and how it's going through in our life. If, you, if you've ever looked for hope in terms of understanding you know, live my life with what's going on and the disappointment I face. You know, we know that God's people found hope in God. And, and even as we come to this, our, our hope and our prayer is it's not necessarily for answers for every one of our disappointments, but a recognition of the God who is there with us, walking with us in this life and bring hope, breathing hope into our lives. So that's, that's what we want to see as we get through through this passage. It's six verses. So let's jump right in. Starting verses one through three, we see Abram's struggle with God's promises. Abram's struggle with God's promises. Maybe you've struggled with God's promises. We see the problem of disappointment when we just jump into verse one here. And it starts off really with a promise, right? And a revelation. Genesis 15:1. after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So God comes and, and he speaks to Abram and, and we see a command that's given to him. And the command is to, to fear not. It's one of the most common commands that's given in the Bible. Shows up, you know, that particular phrase, I think 103 times inside the Bible. Fear not. But the Bible talks about fear a lot more times than that. Uh, over 500 times. But, but he doesn't just give this command, fear not, but, but he tells us why he shouldn't fear. And why shouldn't he fear? You see it in there, because God's a shield to him. God's, God's a, a, got a great reward for him. Now, it's significant when God tells him this. Jump back just to verse 1 there. It says in verse 1 that God said these things, he says, after these things. Well, after what things? Well, Genesis 15 comes after Genesis 14. What's Genesis 14 all about? Genesis 14 is about this battle, this battle that happens between nine different armies meeting up together, meeting in a, in a valley and, and duking it out. And, and Abram getting wrapped up with this affair. Um, his nephew Lot gets captured up in it. He has to send in a rescue expedition and, and, they, and, and they pull um, his nephew Lot out of captivity. Now, Abram, before that, had been living a fairly quiet life, probably under the radar, probably not really, um, you know, 
not really the center of attention from the, the, the tribes and nations that were all around him. Just this quiet disruptor inside of Canaan. But, but, but now he's made himself known. Now he's visible that's there. And, and, and he remains vulnerable because all he is is just you know, one group of people. Abram with 218 men who work for him. He doesn't have a strong nation that's surrounding him. He doesn't have a strong alliance. And, and if you look back in Genesis 14, the king of Sodom even offered an alliance with him, and, and he turned that down. And so what does God say? God says to him here, I will be your shield. Right? Abram had turned down the king of Sodom to be a shield for him. You know, why? Because he knew that the nature of Sodom, the nature of that, that city, and the sin and the iniquity that was part of it, and he didn't want to get wrapped up with that. But here God says he's a shield. That's, that's a reassurance, a reassurance to protect him. It's a really helpful reminder to us that as we live in this life, in this world, and there's so much that is outside of our control that we need to, to go back and to trust God, to trust God to be our shield, trusting him and, um, and, and obeying his commands instead of flirting with the world and, and thinking that somehow if I flirt with the world that I'll have this extra level of protection, that I'll be safe if I flirt with the world. Abraham wouldn't have that with Sodom. He knew that God would be his shield. God also reiterates his promise of reward. We've seen previously that God had said he'd be a great nation, that his name would be great. What's, but what's this reward that's being promised? Was it wealth? I don't think so. It's, it's connected with the earlier promises. What's his reward? That he is going to be God's chosen man. This is God's chosen nation. This is God's chosen people. Not just a worldly blessing, but a promise of heaven, promise of glory. It's a promise of life in communion with God. But as Abram gets these two great words from God, he's, he's not thinking primarily about those things, though. He hears God's promise, but his attention is somewhere else. And so is the fact that he's childless. His personal safety, his reward, is, is not his main idea right now. And if you look what he says in verse 2, because you might think, about, well, we're talking about disappointment. Well, you have this great reward, but, but Abram goes right into his point of disappointment. Yeah, God, I know you've revealed yourself. I know you'll be this, but let's deal with the disappointment level. Verse 2, Abram says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So what matters right now to Abram? He has no children. It's as if Abram is saying, So what? So what, God? Who, who cares if I have a lot of money, a great reward? Who cares if I live a long life in this land? Who cares if I accomplish all of these things? Uh, you, you've given me things that I'm not asking for. What I, what I, want, what I want is a child. He says, I, I continue childless. You can think about Abram's concerns. What's going to happen when he dies? Where will all that blessing go? What, where will that reward end up? And even for God's glory, where is that, that great nation going to be? If nothing happens, it's all going to disappear. Verse 2, he says the, the heir of his house is Eliezer of Damascus, a distant family member living outside of the promised land that, that God had given to him. It's all going to go over there. Nothing left of God's promise, legacy, or his work here in this land. So what? Did I, did I move to Canaan for nothing? Did I uproot my wife, my, my flocks, and all that to risk my life for nothing? You can see Abram wrestling 
with God. There's a struggle here. You can see the dis- this disappointment. Behold, you've given me no offspring. You know, one thing that we see here is the importance as we deal with disappointment is to bring these things before the Lord, to bring these things to God in conversation, in conversational prayer. Just like Abram here, we, we, we need to be able to talk to God about our, our places of disappointment. Now, I know how some of you deal with disappointment. You lower your expectations, right? You know, if I just lower my expectations enough, well, then I'll never be disappointed in life. I mean, it's a great benefit of being a pessimist, right? The great benefit of being a pessimist is that either, number one, all of your expectations are met, and how cool is that? You were right. And if you're wrong and things are better than you imagined, well, then it's better than you imagined, so things will always be good, right? But, but Abram, he's not coming this pessimism. He's coming saying, God, you know, I'm really wrestling with this hope, you know, that you said this was going to happen, and it just seems dead. It just seems dead. So what's happened to his hope? He talks to God in prayer. It's an important picture of prayer where we wrestle with God with our expectations, with that sense that God is not upholding his end of the bargain or, or something. Now, I said our sense, you know, because we do sense, like, God, I, I thought my life was going to be a certain way. I, I thought you'd want these things inside my life. I understand what your Bible says about these things. And, and why does my life to be so, so, so different of what, of, of what a good life would be in you? The most important thing that we need to do is to, to take time to talk with God. But so often what we do is when we're frustrated we, and we get disappointed, we just hide ourselves away from him. Why would I talk to him? Why would I, why would I bring to him my disappointments? Why, why would I express myself to him? I'm, I'm just totally disappointed. And so instead of knowing the grace of God's presence as, as Abraham would experience here, we distance ourselves away from him and, and we limit ourselves from, from his conversation back and learning what he has for us. See, Abraham had, had come under God's plan. He'd uprooted his life. He dragged his wife away from his homeland into this land of Canaan. God had promised he'd be a great nation. And after decades of waiting here, of lots of hard work, of, of danger, and of risk, you know, Abram may have gained an enormous amount of wealth, but there's no future for his work. What was the point of the sacrifices? He'd lost a lot along the way. You can look meaningless at this point. If you thought his obedience to God would mean the fulfillment of his dreams, is that he was missing out on that. It certainly wasn't happening according to his timeline. But maybe his own dreams, maybe his own timeline were not the same as God's plans and God's timeline. Maybe you felt like that in your life. God, God I've obeyed, and, and where did it get me? God, I've followed your commands, and I'm unhappy. God, God I've, I've given all, and I've followed you, and, I, and I've lost these relationships because of it. God, I, I'm still struggling financially. I have, I have problems in my marriage. I, I, I feel alone. I'm sick. I have no energy. My, my kids aren't doing well. I've wanted to have children. I'm not able to have them. And, or, or I hate my job. You, you don't answer my prayers. God, God, you've taken away my loved ones. God, what are you doing? Why, why would you disregard my faith? Why would you disregard my obedience, my prayers, my tears? Why, God? Why? When we feel like God has disappointed us, when we feel like life hasn't gone our way, it, it leads us into feelings of depression, feelings of cynicism, 
feelings of purposelessness, restlessness. I mean, we feel depressed, right? Depressed because we look at the future and we say, you know, God, I just don't see hope in that. It doesn't seem like my life can get better. You know, that's a hard place to be. We need to get help in those situations. And see, there is hope in the Lord. But we become cynical when we settle for that, that small life, that comfortable life. You know, it's not going to work out anyway. Why would I even try for it? I can't really expect much from the people in my life. I can't expect much from God in my life. You know, I'm just going to get cynical about all these things. I'm not going to trust God for the big things, the big promises in this life, because I just expect disappointment in this life. People become purposeless because they say, well, what's the point? What's the point of doing things? We're restless because we want more out of life than what we're, than what we're getting. And when we continue down those paths, what we end up uh, doing is making all kinds of bad decisions. And as trials come, we're not girded up. We're not strengthened up in order to face them. You know, we need a hope. We need a hope that strengthens us in those. So often what we do is we quit, right? People quit when things get like this. They give up. They give in. They quit on God. They, they give up on obedience to faith. They give in to temptation. There's a couple of phenomenons that go on inside of the church. One of the things is the nuns, the rise of the nuns. People who have around our nation no religious affiliation. There's another group called the Duns. And if you've heard of the Duns, those who are done with the church. They're done with God. They've, they've just left it. They've quit on the church out of disappointment. They've quit on God out of disappointment. They give up. Does it matter what I believe in God? Does it make my life better? Should I just go the way of the world? Why even have devotion to God? Why even try? But here's the thing. Is it giving up and God in disappointment becoming a done it also gives up any foundation for hope. It leads to a life of bitterness, a loss of purpose. It just adds disappointment on disappointment on disappointment. And whatever we face is kind of disappointment with God, though, we need to check two things. When we face disappointment with God, we need to check two things. First, what are my expectations? And the second thing is, what are my timeline? What is my timeline? Isn't disappointment when our, our expectations aren't met? According to my timeline, right? So we need to look at what are my expectations, what are the timeline that I'm bringing to this situation? The first thing is we really have to ask is, are our expectations really biblical? Are they really consistent with what God has revealed or promised inside of his word? Are we looking for something that God has never promised to do? Are we looking for something, that, thinking that the universe owes us something, when indeed it has made no such promise? We need to look at our, what our expectations are. We also need to look at our timeline. When we face disappointment, is, is, is our timeline different than God's timeline? Now, God is so gracious here as Abram speaks to him. You know, that's the graciousness of God in prayer. He doesn't allow Abram to wallow in a depression or, or any cynicism, but he answers God. So, you know, we're reminded that, that Abram didn't have a Bible to go to. He didn't have preaching. The promises that he had were, were from years and years ago. We're in a different spot than that. You know, God has given us his word. We have preaching. We have Christian friends. And so when we face disappointment, we face the negative onslaught of emotions we need to bring those to the Bible. We understand the light of God's word. Bring it to God in prayer, looking at God's word. What does your word teach? Because we need course correction, away from the world, towards, towards Christ. What, what, what do I expect? 
You know, do I expect to live in an easy and sinless and unfallen world? Or do I recognize the sin and the fall and the brokenness that's here? Do I expect everything to be easy? Do I expect to be fully satisfied with this world? Right, we need God to correct us in, in Scripture, correct our expectations. And that's what God does as we look at verses 4 and 5. So first we see the struggling with God's word. Um, the next thing we're going to see Abram doing is, is, well, God doing, is the clarification of his promises. That's what we see in verses 4 and 5, the clarification of God's promises. So God gives two answers to Abram. The first thing he says in verse 5, or verse 4, is he says he's going to give him his own son. And behold, verse 4 says, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, meaning Eliezer of Damascus. Your very own son shall be your heir. This is, this is new data for Abram. By this point, his wife was beyond the years of child raising. God never specifically mentioned a son, but now he specifically mentions, you are going to have a son, Abram. This is not expected. I mean, there was a promise of being a great nation, but, but you know, what was going to happen? How was it going to happen? And you know, he's saying, you're going to have your own son with your wife. There's a miracle that's being promised here. And all I had to do was start with one, right? Just start with one. Here he said, one's going to come. But it's more than just one, right? Because if you look at verse 5, he says, uh, God shows him, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. Verse 5, and, and God brought Abram outside and said, look towards the heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God shows Abram more of that promise out of Genesis chapter 12. So in 12, he said he's going to make him a great nation. And look what he says now. He says, he gives us a visual picture. Abram, look, look up in the sky, in the dark sky, and count stars. Go ahead and try to count the stars. You just can't count them. There, there's, there's too many that are up there. You, you, you can't get to that high of a number. One of the great joys of growing up in Colorado or, or living out in Utah or, or traveling out in Utah was just you know, the, the higher elevation, the less atmosphere blocking the, 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 the stars. If you've ever been out there on a, just a dark night where there's no lights around, just the number of stars that are out there. You can imagine Abram here without the surrounding lights around him of a city and just seeing so many stars beyond number, beyond count, and counting those and, and the enormous promise that God is making him. What a, what a powerful impact that had to have made on Abram on his own heart as he just counts those up. So remember that Abram questioned the Lord with the impossibilities of his life. How could God's promises possibly be true? And it's so good to see how God answered him here. Verse 4 again says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Right? God speaks to him. And we believe that God still speaks to us. You know, he speaks to us in his word. He speaks to us through his word. Applying it to our lives, seeing how we can apply it. God, you know, I have this disappointment, but I found that your grace is sufficient for me in this. As we wrestle with our disappointments, we find God's presence with us as we read our Bible. As we tell God our griefs, as we talk to him about our sadnesses, our disappointments, as we wrestle over our own sin, we question how could God even save us? We learn to listen to God's word, and, and he speaks to us through that. I remember a time I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to go overseas, East Asia, 
And just the time that God stopped that, it just, you know, put, a, put an end to it through various life circumstances and the disappointment that was there and just having to go to God in prayer and wrestle with him through those things and, and just realizing that, that God makes, you know, you know, my expectations were different. Um, God adjusted those things and told me how he'd meet me right where, right where I was, right where we were. I know someone who was struggling with an ongoing habitual sin. They just couldn't overcome, and, and they wrestled with, why are they stuck? They discovered their legalism. They discovered the rules that they were just trying to live by, but, but missing out on the grace and the love of God. And, and in turning in deeper into the love of God, they found powerful strength in order to resist the temptations which were there and to walk with Christ. It's also important for problems that don't resolve. Some of us deal with long-term matters of disappointment, a one in singleness, an ability to have children, sickness that won't go away, loneliness. I mean, we, we bring those things to God as well. And while we may not find easy answers in them, we, we find communion with God in them. He, he draws near to us as he drew near to Abram here, speaking to him. But prayer is so important as we deal with our disappointments. It's, it's okay to wrestle with God over these things. And, you know, we bring with us as we go in the car. We bring it as we walk up and down the street. We pray as we lay in bed in the morning before we get up or as we wake up in the middle of the night. We just pray. We, we pray and we wrestle with God because we want to understand his promises. We want to understand his presence. We want to understand what he does. We want to think God's thoughts. We want to dwell in his grace. We want to dwell in his power. And who knows what he's going to show us? Who knows how he's going to surprise us? I don't think Abram expected these answers. But unless we have that conversation, you know, unless we struggle with God in these issues, we're not even going to hear. He can flood us with an image of his glory, with a call to obedience, of trust showing us the glory of heaven and a hope that will sustain. So pray, talk to God about your disappointments. Your silence with God is, is the worst thing. You just don't learn as you bring silence to God. Talk to him, wrestle with him, because you never know what's going to happen. All right, so what does Abram do with this information? That's what we see in verse 6. That's our third point. We see faith in God's promises. Genesis fifteen six says, And Abram believed, God, believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Now, so if you didn't know this already, this is one of the most uh, used and famous verses in the Bible. We're, we're going to see why it is so well known. All right, so God and Abram have this discussion. God gives him uh, these, this, this picture, and, and God gets that last word. And then what does Abram do? What's his response? His response is belief. His response is, is faith. He, he chooses to believe God in these promises. That's amazing. God didn't say that much. God says, you're going to have a son, and look at the stars, and count them. That's how many you're going to have. That's, that's really all he says, but that is enough for Abram to believe. That's enough for Abram to bank on. He's heard the word of God, and he responds by faith. And then what does God do in verse 6? God credits it, that faith, as righteousness. See, that's what God was looking for from Abram, looking for faith. He wasn't looking for moral perfection. He wasn't looking for Abram to do everything right. He wasn't even looking for Abram to do an amazing new act of courage or religiously. 
Abram was a sinner. Abram had already sinned against God. He had sinned so many times that he couldn't be counted. And if you flip forward a few pages, he was going to sin against God in the future. But when Abram trusted God, God counted it to him as righteousness. He didn't see his faults. He didn't see the sin. He accepted Abram as totally perfect right there. Those sins and those faults, yes, they're part of his history. But they were ignored, glossed over, treated as nothing, removed and thrown far away as east is from the west. His righteousness meant that he had been accepted by God. Even though he had fallen short of the glory of God in the past, God counted him as righteous, giving him something he didn't have for himself. We call it an alien righteousness, not alien from outer space, but alien that it comes from outside of himself, foreign to himself. He didn't bring it with him into that. It came from God as God accepted him despite his faults. Right? He was saved through his faith. Now, I mentioned that this is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. And why? Well, because it's repeated at least five times in the New Testament. Um, repeated at least five times. One of them is Romans 4.23. And Romans 4.23, the Apostle Paul here is explaining the Christian faith, explaining the Christian life, and what it looks like. And he wants them to understand their salvation. And what he does is he uses Abram, uses this exact incident, and he says, hey, Learn from this to think about your own life. So what does he say? Romans 4.23, uh, it says this. The words, it was credited to him. They were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteous. So in other words, he's saying this is something for us to learn from as we learn about the Christian faith. It goes on to say, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Right? So just like God made to Abram, God has made a wonderful promise to his people. He promises eternal life, promises to bring us into heaven, promises to forgive our sins. How does he fulfill that? How is he going to fulfill that? In order to accept us as righteous, God needed to make us righteous. Right? He needed to deal with our sin. Right, and how did he deal, make us righteous? Well, he credited us with an alien righteousness. He credited us with someone else's righteousness. Now, we talk about credit all the time, right? Every time you use your credit card, you think about credit. What, is a, what does a credit card do? Um, you know, what happens when we use a credit card that a bank loans you a little bit of money to buy something? So my wife and I, yesterday, we went to Chick-fil-A to go for a little date night together. It was a wonderful time at one of the Chick-fil-A's that was open. And we spent, you know, I put my credit card down, and the credit card company loaned me $20 so we could have dinner. Now, for a fast food dinner, I realize inflation is really hitting us, right? $20 for a fast food dinner, but I was, it was good, and so it was worth every penny of it. But it was good to be with my wife. That was worth every penny of it, too. All right, but what happens? The credit card company gives me something that wasn't mine because I don't have enough cash on hand. They give me something that wasn't mine so I can buy it and I can have a nice dinner. Well, this is similar to how forgiveness works, right? Jesus lived the perfect life. He did everything that was required from God. He didn't do anything wrong. He had true righteousness. Just like that bank has money, he has true righteousness. And when he died on the cross, two things happened then. 
The first thing that happened is that the sin of every believer was credited to him. Like, we're not like him, right? We have a massive debt that we can't repay. We have no resources in order to get us righteousness. And our debt is sin. And our nature is not going to lead us towards righteousness. It leads us to more sin or sinful nature. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The consequence of those sins is so grievous that we deserve eternal hell for it. But as Jesus died on the cross, the sins of all his people were credited to him so he could pay the debt of his people with his own death. He suffered the hell of God's judgment so his people wouldn't need to suffer that punishment. So you imagine that as Christ hung out there on the cross, God put all the sin of his people on him and he poured out his wrath on that sin, right? The sin has to be dealt with if you're gonna be righteous. There's this great quote by John Piper which is on the sidebars in your bulletin. He says, no sin was ever merely passed over. None, it will be paid for in hell or will be paid for on the cross, right? That's crediting. Our sin was credited to him. But something else happened. In his death on the cross, he provided a way for righteousness to be transferred to us. See, all of his perfections, all the, the benefit of all that could be transferred to those who believe in him. Every good thing, and, and the, the reward of that could be passed on and transferred to us as if it were our own goodness. And so we believe in Jesus, our sin is credited to him. And his righteousness is credited to us. It's like taking off our dirty clothes and getting on clean clothes to replace them straight from the dry cleaner. And this is so important. It's so important because where is your righteousness going to come from? Is it going to come from the credit of Christ who really earns it? Or are you going to try to earn it through your paltry deeds? In fact, one incident, and this just came up to me in the first service. I just thought about this, but... I don't know if you've seen the news recently, and Jim Melnick had a, had a podcast recently talking about what's happening inside the church in Ukraine and in Russia. As you know, Russia's attacking Ukraine, and one thing you may not know is the Russian Orthodox Church is really supporting this attack on, on Ukraine. In fact, like the highest priest, I can't remember what they're called, inside of the Russian Orthodox Church, um, he says this, he says, you know what? All Russian Orthodox people, they need to go and fight in this war. And if you go and fight in this war, and, and that you're, just by fighting in it, your sins will be forgiven. They'll be cleansed. They'll be wiped off. You know, and so he's making a holy war, right? And you see how he wraps people up in this idea of a holy war in order to get them, to manipulate them, to get them something that the Bible never says that he does. No, faith, uh, righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ as he credits to us, never by what we can do. It's really important to know, because if you don't believe that, it's easy to get manipulated, right? But righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ because of what he did. Okay, so, all right, so, so let me go back. So when you believe Jesus Christ, God no longer sees your sin. It's gone. It's removed from history. Uh, it's removed as far as the east is from the west. And, you know, and that is wonderful grace. And I hope you appreciate the mercy that is there for you in this. It's gone. It's, it's removed. The sin is removed. Gone. And, and I hope that every person here has believed in Jesus Christ so you can know this for yourself. 
Is this good news for you? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Is it good news for you, or are you so caught up in the world looking for other good news that you miss the wonder of it? So we might be like Abram and ask Kevin, forgiveness, I, I can't take care of my own life right now. I, I'm not exactly happy. God, couldn't you make me rich, or couldn't you solve my marriage problems? God, couldn't you answer my other prayers? And God says, you don't know the plans I have for you, plans that are much bigger than your small worldly concerns. Abram reminds us that our biggest problem is our sin problem. Our biggest problem that we, is that we've sinned against Almighty God. We stand under his judgment. We fail to know the horrors of hell, and we fail to know the glories of heaven and of forgiveness and of eternal life. So now how do we know, though, that God will provide that unspeakable joy? Because Jesus Christ has already died and already resurrected to secure it. I mean, that's a matter of historical fact. He's already done that. And it's a reminder that this world will never be our home. It will always be affected by sin and evil. This world is a veil of tears. Yeah, do we experience joys inside of it? Yes, there are wonderful joys in a world that God has created, a, a lot to enjoy. But we also recognize that it's punctuated with suffering and difficulties and tears and trials and persecutions. You know, there's something greatly wrong. And even in that, God promises glory. But your sins need to be forgiven. And we might come and we say, God, how, how could this be? Um, you know, Abram's asking God, how can I have these promises if I don't have children? And we might ask God, how could you possibly forgive me? I have done too much. How can I possibly be forgiven for the things that I've done? And then God reminds us what he did to save us. Of Christ Jesus and the pouring out of God's wrath upon our sin there, that our, our sin was credited to him, taken away. It was taken off and it was exhausted, every bit of it. It's removed so that Romans 4 says that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. The way that Abraham became righteous is the only way that you and I can become righteous through faith. Christ secured everything we need to it, but, but we take a hold of that. It becomes ours through faith. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to believe in the promises of God. It starts by, by admitting that you're a sinner, by saying there is no way that you can save yourself, that your ability to save yourself is the same ability that Abram's 90-year-old wife had in having a child. It's impossible. But God made a way of salvation through Jesus Christ. God is God of the impossible as we're gonna see. But you need to believe him. And as we do, I assure you, you will not be disappointed in the promises of God. You will be disappointed in this life. There's no heaven on earth, we're affected by sin, and God's timing is not our timing, but you won't be disappointed in the promises of God. He forgives, he becomes your shield, he becomes your reward. Listen to Romans four, five and eight. It says this, and the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed indeed. So as you live through the disappointments of this life, the losses, the sicknesses, the conflicts, the trials, you have that assurance that you're saved to a greater hope, a hope that no one can ever take from you.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your promises are real. God, they're more real than we often appreciate. Secured in history, secured through Jesus Christ. God, they are sure. The promise of forgiveness, the promise of eternal life, the promise of heaven, the promise of a relationship with you, that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And and God, we face so many disappointments in this life. God, for people in this room, people watching on a live stream, I know there are an enormous amount of disappointments, even that we're enduring right now, even today that we've thought about. Father, just come alongside, comfort, draw near to you. Father, we have no reason to be disappointed with your promises. They are truly wonderful. Father, they seem so impossible that we would have a part in them because of our sin until we see everything that you did to make them real. We praise you for that. Fit us for heaven. Increase our hunger for heaven. We ask you all this in Jesus' name. Amen.